The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, you know, years ago, Freud asked, what do women want? Well, today I'm asking, what do patients really want? And my guest is Dr. Pamela Weibel, and she's an expert in what patients really want, uh, which is not what most patients are getting. We're uh, going to look at why, why doctors are being driven to depression, drugs, and death by suicide or stress, and why um, our healthcare system has gone down the tubes. But we're going to be looking at it instead of my usual rants about Obamacare and the political system. We're going to be more focused on uh, solutions and positive aspects. You know, what, what can be done in your neighborhood, actually, to make the situation better? Now, before we get into that, though, Pamela has an amazing personal story. Um, when girls her age were playing with Barbies, she was talking to inmates, addicts, and cadavers. And um, she has an incredible childhood and, and uh, I guess, young adulthood, and um, that all of which, though difficult at the time, led her to be this incredibly caring, compassionate, uh, transforming physician that she is today. So welcome to the show, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start. You know, usually I put the guests on Dr. Carol's couch on Dr. Carol's couch (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because it's always fascinating to hear the story behind the story. You know, if someone has written a book or someone's doing something exciting like you are, there's people want to know, I want to know, what caused you to become that person? I mean, what, what kind of life did you have that brought you to this point where you're doing these amazing things? So tell us about how you started out. Well, I started out um, a child born into a family of physicians, and so my mother is a psychiatrist and my father is a pathologist, and because they were both busy physicians, and were constantly at work and also had a marriage that was on the rocks. Um, I ended up at work with them quite a bit. In fact, I was raised essentially in a morgue with my father because he was a medical examiner in Philadelphia. So I ended up uh, quite a bit with him at work. So I was... um, hanging out with cadavers, and uh, he also had three part-time jobs where he worked with um, at a methadone clinic and also at the Philadelphia jail and fire department. So I was 
constantly going to uh, sleep over at the Philadelphia jail, and I was talking to inmates, and I was, he was introducing me as a doctor in training when I was just eight years old, and even probably earlier. And so I was allowed to interview patients from the earliest age, and uh, so I, I've been practicing quite, I've been practicing medicine a long time, I would, I would <laughs> guess. So what were some of the things that, um, that you asked patients in those days, and, and how did they respond to you? Well, I was intrigued with people who were living on the fringes, I guess. You know, I grew up in a suburban a Jewish neighborhood in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and so it's not very typical for most children to be exposed to, you know, heroin addicts and corpses and and um, you know, inmates, and so I was fascinated with this whole underworld, I guess you could say. And mm-hmm. since I had limited, limitless time to spend with these folks, and um, they didn't seem very dangerous when they were behind the bars, I would mm-hmm. essentially just be sitting there uh, asking them, you know, how did you end up in jail? And you know, what's going on with your family? And they, you know, they were bored and sitting in a jail cell, and I'm sure they thought it was really interesting to have a young child interviewing them. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it sort of lightened the burden, probably, for them to be able to talk to a child instead of a police officer. So, yes, and I, I guess, became like um, a little psychiatrist. I guess, <laughs> I guess you could say. Yes, um, and then okay, and that was until you were nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, when? How old were you when your mother left your father? Well, my mother is lesbian, so she was never interested in having a marriage with my father, and so it was pretty much doomed from the get-go. They got married on um, April Fool's Day was the only day she would agree to be married, and so um, she was gone quite a bit between her women's lib um, events and being with her you know, partners. So my dad was my primary caregiver, which is why I ended up at work with him more than my mother. But, um, you know, she essentially came and then kidnapped my brother and I twice and uh, after losing custody, and so that was around age nine. And when you were with her, what were you, what were you doing? Oh, I was probably, um, neg- you would say, neglected. Um, she was at work quite a bit, and I was a little bit more afraid of my mother because she seemed like... Um, like the bion- I thought she was the bionic woman. <laughs> she looked like she could accomplish anything, and she was just this all-powerful sort of a person. And so I don't remember really going to work with her much, although later on I did work in her office um, in high school. But I still was able to be exposed to all sorts of, um, I mean, she would share stories about her patients at work, and so I was able to really just learn a lot about um, mental illness, including mental illness in my own family, and, um, and just, you know, have free reign in, in places that children do not usually, um, are not usually present. So when did you decide that you wanted to become a doctor? Your parents, um, I know, told you not to become one, right? Right. I, I feel like I was destined to be a doctor. I feel like, you know, I personally believe we, um, we control our destiny and that we almost, I, I believe we choreograph our life before we're even born. So I, you know, my philosophy is that I chose my parents before I was born, which is a perfect setup to be able to um, become a healer because I was with two dysfunctional physicians as a child. <laughs> um, 
I, I love them both, but it was a rough childhood, and I was able to see sort of, like I said, the under underworld as far as, um, you know, social issues in this country with poverty, racism, you know, the... And, uh, and then also experience this chaotic childhood of my own. And so I think that a lot of people who have traumatic experiences in their past want to somehow contribute to help others survive the same experiences. So mm-hmm. I was in the perfect Petri dish, you, you could say, to be able to, um, to have these traumatic experiences on my own and then want to give back and become a healer. So when when did you decide to go to medical school? I mean, how old were you? I think I wanted to do that as far back as I could remember. I see. There, were, there was no other career path that I ever really thought of, other than I thought of becoming a veterinarian for a time, but I couldn't put animals to sleep. So that was sort of a blip. Mostly, I think, just from day one, <laughs> I was intrigued by medicine and by patients. And and when did you decide, I mean, one would think you might have been tempted to be a psychiatrist. When did you decide to become a family physician? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I would say probably, probably in my last year of high school, I would think, because... I became, I I was actually, uh, this is not in my history at all, but I was adopted by an African-American family in my senior year of high school, and a poor African-American family in Dallas, and the mother in this family became my godmother and sort of nurtured me emotionally and spiritually where my parents were unable to to achieve those things with me. And so I think then I actually saw poverty and racism and, um, you know, other elements in greater detail, having lived with that family for some time. And I became just committed, I guess, to community activism and wanting to help people in all realms of their life. And psychiatry seemed rather limited, although it's a huge part of my practice. I wanted to be able to help people with, you know, uh, all their problems Uh 24-7. Huh. Boy, you know, you really should write a book about your own book. The book is, I'm working on that right now. You know, for a time I wanted to go into pediatrics, and my pediatric attending really encouraged me to do so because I love kids. But again, I didn't want to just focus on children because, look, their, their problems come from their parents. You know, we've got multi-generational yeah. problems passed down, you know, from grandparents, parents to children. And I want to be able to take, like, the biggest, broadest view and become aware of problems in the entire community and be effective at solving them. And so where did you wind up going to medical school? So I went to medical school at the same school that my mother attended, which was University Mm. of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas. Mm. And then I did residency in Tucson, Arizona after that. And I've been in Eugene, Oregon ever since. Um, In uh, family practice. Mm -hmm. And family medicine. Uh, Yes. And so then you moved to Oregon because? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because... um, well, that's an interesting, because as a family physician, I could pretty much work anywhere, and I thought, oh, I need to go to a, a place that I'll really love, and at the time, I was going to be a single parent um, adopting um, a, a child, and so I thought, where would it be easy to be a single parent, so I moved to this mm-hmm. sort of a healthy, hippie-ish, open-minded, progressive community where I felt it would be, you know, easy to live. Yeah. And this happened to be a very nurturing community to be in. Um, 
as far as later on opening a very um, new model of, of medicine, of medical practice. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Yes. Now, after you went to medical school, you you were on what you call um, the assembly line, assembly line medicine. You got trapped into that for a while. That was in Oregon. Mm-hmm. That was. I had six jobs in ten years because I, I kept. I never kept a job more than a year and a half because I would just get frustrated that the primary concern was numbers and not really the patients. <laughs> and so I I just I just don't thrive well in a situation where where my um where my identity is being oppressed, I guess you could say. And I was unable, you know, in these quick visits to really spiritually and emotionally connect with my patients, which is what I believe most people are really looking for when they come to the doctor. Yes, absolutely. Um I know. <laughs> Medicine has uh, for a brief period of time, I um, did some work in a clinic in Los Angeles um, where it was like where they scheduled patients every, I don't know whether it was every 15 minutes or every, I guess it was like 15 minutes or half an hour somewhere in there, and I quit soon after for the very same reason. It's just absurd. And those were really... patients, right, that you were seeing? What did you say? They were psychiatric patients. Yeah, you were right. That. Yeah, and um, and and that was uh, obviously that's not that's not the way to to do that's no. not the way to do any kind of medicine, psychiatry, family practice, or or anything. And right. um, and uh, in fact, um, the only kinds of patients I see are patients who are interested in doing psychotherapy, not just patients who are looking for medication and say right. goodbye. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we just, that, that was a, uh, now that we've had this kind of introduction to your incredibly uh, interesting um, beginnings, um, we're going to uh, hear about, I know we're coming up to a break soon, but I want then um, for you to start in the next segment to tell us about um, how you, after being dissatisfied with the, the, these, this assembly line kind of medicine, how you decided to do what you're doing and, and uh, how you went about it. And, of course, uh, just to give sort of a, a hint um, to my listeners, this is something um, what Dr. Weibel has created in her neck of the woods is something that is now being copied by uh, frustrated doctors and communities everywhere. So we need to take a break. My guest is Pamela Weibel. She is a board-certified family physician and an incredible innovator in medicine. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about what do patients really want. My guest is Pamela Weibel. She is a board-certified family physician in Oregon. Um, she's an amazing woman. We've heard uh, the highlights of her childhood. Um, it's uh, amazing that this you know, sometimes when people are, people can either be totally destroyed by their childhoods, um, or it can make them stronger in the sense that they become more determined to do something good for the world and to do something important and change people's lives because they don't want people to be hurt like they were hurt growing up, which is obviously, fortunately for the world, um, what Pamela Weibel decided to do. So when we left your story, um, you had been graduated from medical school, had six jobs in ten years uh, because you were frustrated with assembly line medicine, and now take us into your mind, what, what made you, where did you get the idea to go off on your own and create your own model? 
Well, there are there are two events I'd like to share. The first one, uh, well, I will share. After my very first job, I did create my own clinic in my carport. We converted a carport into a little clinic in my house, and I saw patients for for um, sliding scale uh, and barter and trade and cash, you know, whatever they could afford. I saw uninsured patients for a year in my house just to sort of, I guess, experiment with the idea of, hmm, how could I provide health care outside of corporate medicine? And it was really quite fulfilling. The only problem was I felt like, oh, this is all very cute in my neighborhood and my little uh, neck of the woods, but how am I helping the rest of the country? You know, I felt like my three or 400 patients were getting great care, but um, I wanted to help my colleagues, and I wanted to help the rest of the country. So um, I went back into the assembly line, I guess, to do um, investigative journalism or something. I'm not really sure, to to earn more money and try to contemplate what I could do next. And um, six jobs in ten years, uh, I think there was a key moment where I realized, you know, this, this, this insanity must stop. I was actually in the middle of a pap smear uh, on a woman. It was her first pap smear ever. And uh, all of a sudden, the speculum came flying out of a drawer, and the walls were shaking. We were in the middle of an earthquake. Huh. And, we, and we jumped. Uh, she jumped off the table, grabbed my hand, ran down the hallway, and I saw three, uh, t- total three naked patients running down the hall in front of me, and I realized they were all waiting for me at the same time in separate rooms. Huh. And it's just insane for people to be treated that way, you know, to triple book appointments, have physicians in survival mode trying to escape rooms, you know, having an adversarial relationship with patients just because of time constraints. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I definitely have to do this differently. And eventually I got so depressed um, years later that I actually considered becoming a waitress. I was dreaming about going back into waitressing just so I could be nice to people again. You know, just so I could ask, how can I help you? Would you like cream in your coffee? You know, and I felt like I could never be nice to my patients in these jobs. It just wasn't part of the job description, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So... So I had um, actually, after my very last corporate job, I, I got depressed and was in bed for six weeks. I really got, I, I basically slept through my 36th or 5th birthday. One of those birthdays I slept through, and uh, two days later it was Pearl Harbor Day in 2004, and I woke up like um, at, at dawn, you know, with, with a vision I was sort of like jolted out of a bed with a vision of how healthcare could be in this country. Hmm. And it was um, a community process where, where people came together and communities designed their own medical clinics around what they wanted, you know, rather than waiting for politician saviors or having physicians design clinics and then holding their community hostage to their designs, which may be beautiful or may not, you know. It was actually a a community event, like a celebration. And so I then got excited again about being a doctor. I mean, I was so depressed for the six weeks I was actually suicidal because, you know, all I ever wanted to do was be a doctor. I was born to be be a healer, and the current medical... um, system was not allowing me to do what I want to do and what the patients really want. So I held a town hall meeting, a series of town hall meetings in Eugene, Oregon, and I invited the community to come design an ideal medical practice. I pretty much told them, 
that they could share whatever their wildest dreams were, and I would build the practice of their dreams. I would work for them. And so I got 100 pages of written testimony, and that became my business plan, and we were open one month later. It was really kind of amazing. Well, what was, that is amazing. What were, um, so I, I assume you were saving money through all those years of corporate medicine. Yeah, to be able that was to another thing. Them. I was saving money, paid off my house, really had no debt. So I, I, I guess I had the luxury of being depressed in bed for six weeks. With no <laughs> Most people don't have that would be like a, a spa-like experience for many people, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah. So I was not in any um, finance. I, I didn't. I wasn't on like um, an economic slavery model, you know, lifestyle. I'm a very simple person, so I'm sort. I sort of have a voluntary simplicity type lifestyle anyway. Yeah. So I was able to just open this practice right away. So what did these people? What are some of the things that these people uh, said that they wanted? These patients wanted. Well, you know, the most amazing thing that people want, which costs nothing, is authentic human connection. Isn't that amazing? They want to actually connect with their physician and feel like they're friends or neighbors or, you know, just have that, um, you know, warm feeling that you have when you're around a good friend. Uh, The only difference is, like, this good friend happens to have medical skills and is your doctor, too. So, um so that's that's the predominant thing they wanted, and of course, you know, embedded in that message, they want somebody who's open-minded, who's listening, who doesn't rush them, you know, just all the kind of respectful ways that you would treat your best friend, you know? Yes. And then they want to have an integrative approach. They want to be able to say, you know, look, this herb worked for me before, can I try it, or what do you think, you know, and have the doctor not consider them, you know, a quack or following, you know, some, you know, just not look down on them. And so they want to be able to have acupuncture and massage and, you know, pretty much just the basic things that you would assume people want. And, um, you know, they would like to be able to barter and trade and actually afford your services, you know. So nobody ever wrote that they wanted another MRI machine or they wanted any more high-tech stuff or they wanted, you know, um, anything that was unaffordable and really expensive. So so it was quite easy to do this. Now, did you do this in your home or did you have an office? Well, I actually then rode my bicycle around town thinking, well, let me find some place close to my home to open this place. And there happened to be a wellness center about um, a mile away, and they had a little office that became available, and I, I rented that office space, and I'm still there five years later, longest time I've ever kept a job. <laughs> and, uh, and it's great because in this wellness center, they have access to massage therapy, counseling, a solar-heated indoor pool with a wheelchair ramp for patients who are you know, disabled that need to go down in the wheelchair and a lift so they can go into the hot tub and yoga classes. And so it is pretty much the description that um, many of the town hall participants you know, uh, elaborated on in their in their uh, testimony. Yes, that was that's perfect, really. Yeah, um, because you know you can just prescribe something that's right next door. Mm-hmm. So and then it wasn't um, a lot of money because I just rented this office space. If you could believe it, for two hundred and eighty dollars a month. Isn't for how amazing? much? Two hundred and eighty dollars a month. 
Wow. I mean, it's 280 square feet, and now my rent has, over the years, gone up, and it's now $322, which is quite affordable. And and uh, it's just a small space because, really, when you're doing cognitive services versus a you know proceduralist like a surgeon, um, you don't really need a lot of space. You could yes. sort of do that in a cardboard box if you needed to, you know. So mm-hmm. my office is a small square footage, which people actually like. They wanted a cozy, homey, sort of like a living room type setup. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I created. I even, down to the color of the walls, it was, it's, it's all designed by the patients. Huh. So, and what did they pick? <laughs> it's like a sage green. Well, the walls are sort of yellow, um, you know, sort of a mellow yellow, and then sage green, sort of a, the healing colors, you know, muted colors, and they wanted sacred symbols, and, you know, I have little, little wood nymph statues and angels, you know, like, I mean, I just sort of did whatever they said, which made it very easy for me, because I didn't have to do a lot of work or hire consultants. I just mm-hmm. did what my patients wanted, so, kind of amazing. Well, well, now, even though the rent is very cheap, um, you do have other expenses like, um, well, I, I imagine your biggest expense is, is malpractice insurance. Yeah. my Actually, the biggest expense in most offices is probably staff, and I don't have any staff because um, I'm doing everything myself, which I love and the patients love because they can contact me 24-7, 365 with nobody, uh, no middleman, you know, in between us. And so I have zero for staff, the 322 for rent, and then malpractice insurance is in this area of the country pretty affordable. So for a five-year mature uh, premium, it's about $8,800. And since I work part-time, I get 50% off. So my malpractice is about $4,400 a year. Okay, we do need to take a break, but I want to hear more about this, as I'm sure I do my listeners. (laughs) This is, um, it's like, what planet are you on? (laughs) We do need to take a break. My guest is Dr. Pamela Weibel. Uh, I will give you, of course, her website when we, at the, by the end of the show, where there's lots more information. Um, we're talking about what do patients want, and actually, we can talk a little bit about what do doctors want. We can talk more about that because um, that has become and is becoming an increasing problem uh, here in America where doctors are, are getting incredibly burnt out. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Sonnier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Sonnier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. 
What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Hey, welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my guest, Dr. Pamela Weibel, a a board-certified, a bird doctor, a (laughs) board-certified family physician. We're talking about what do patients really want. Dr. Weibel has uh, managed to get out of the rat race and um, found an incredible clinic uh, totally determined by, or or I guess 99% determined by, um, what patients in her community really want. You know, Dr. Weibel, do you think, um, I mean, what about people who are thinking, I mean, I'm thinking to some degree too, um, well, that's great for Eugene, Oregon, but could a practice like that where you get paid in chickens at times um, work in a city? Yeah, that, this, this is actually probably the most common question I get from other doctors, and it absolutely can work in most places in the country. And in my book that I'm actually working on, I have the stories uh, of five other doctors, one in Manhattan, one in upstate New York, another one in Colorado, where I give their stories chapter by chapter, the amazing things that these other doctors who I consider almost saints are doing around the country, and they've been equally successful at opening these basically community-designed neighborhood practices in almost every part of the country. Okay. Well, is it that, is it that these are doctors who are, um, you know, who have either made a lot of money already in the corporate-type jobs or are just not interested in money or are... Um, um, not at all. Let me give you an... You want to hear a wonderful example? Yes. 
you know, and these are often doctors who call me for advice, and my message to them is don't give up on your dreams. You know, you can, there are people who would love to have you as a doctor, you know, these compassionate, wonderful people who call me crying from around the country begging me for advice. And so this one woman, um, you know, this woman calls it her Cinderella story. I mean, this, this wonderful family physician was burdened with 13 student loans totaling $273,000 while single parenting a daughter with cerebral palsy. And all she wanted to do was get off the assembly line in Albany, New York, and wanted to be a country doc, you know, like you imagine just being the town doctor. Meanwhile, you know, over the hills in a town 45 minutes away, population 3,500, they were grieving the loss of their 93-year-old physician who had done house calls for five bucks a house call for like 65 years. How do you replace somebody like that, you know? Yeah. And so they went on this 15-year quest looking for a replacement, and that's when this one particular woman, her name's Mariah, her dream came true. She went, she showed up at this town, and she said, look, you know, I'm in financial straits here, but I'd love to be your doctor. You know what these townspeople did? They held up bake sales, spaghetti dinners, ice cream socials. They sewed her gowns. They raised $2,500. They donated a washer-dryer. They remodeled an entire apartment for her family, and they rented her a building for a dollar a year, which was donated, bequeathed by the other physician who died. So this woman has like this amazing practice where like patients come and volunteer and do office work and teach her horseback riding and and she you know she still does house calls. She does everything this town needs and she gets her needs met because the town basically fell in love with her. And you know most people in towns would fall in love with a doctor who would go overboard like that. And so you know. Um, she ends up, you know, these strangers snowplow her driveway. They arrive on her birthday with triple chocolate cakes. And, yeah, you know, wow. she essentially tells me what's important is what I told her. She said what's important is believing it's possible. Most people give up on dreams like this. Yes, yes. You know? and, and yet I think that probably uh, most uh, wannabe doctors going into medical school have these kinds of dreams um, yeah, these are the images that actually motivate them to study all night for these tests, <laughs> you know, yes, and then they get out and they're funneled into an assembly line practice, which essentially further um, dehumanizes them. Yes, dehumanizes them. And, and, uh, and of course, you know, the, the thing that people aren't really talking about is um, how patients are suffering by, you know, quietly by um, not getting the doctor to spend enough time with them. Um, you know, how not getting their questions answered caused them to use their, take their medications in the wrong way, for example. Right. Um, how this assembly line medicine is just killing patients right and left. How they didn't need the MRI if the doctor would have spent five more minutes, held their hand, and really explained why they had stomach pain. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot yes. of these tests and drugs are ordered because in haste the doctor needs to run out of the room to the next three naked patients waiting in the next three rooms. Yes, so, absolutely. So it's it's really inefficient. It doesn't solve people's problems. Again, like I mentioned in the first segment, patients are really there for emotional and spiritual guidance. Yeah, yes. if you could answer their why their abdominal pain hurts and the you know why they have pain, that would help. But, you know, beyond that, underneath all their questions, they need this connection that they can't really get anywhere today because even their husbands are so busy running around working, you know, late into the evening, they can't get that personal attention from anyone. 
Yes, absolutely. And and this is is becoming an increasingly um, large problem because serious problem because uh, as the stress of our lives increase, um, so much of our our illnesses, our physical illnesses, are really caused by uh, our psychological problems, by stress acting on our our body, our mind, and our body, right. and. Um, which just makes it all that much more important to have that connection, regardless of what specialty the doctor is. Which I'll give you an example how that works, is that, like I had mentioned in the break, there's this situation called tragedy of the commons, which is when people perceive a, a resource as scarce, they hoard it. And because I'm available 24-7, 365 to my patients, and I don't have nurses and 13 staff as like a human shield between me and my patients, they know they can reach me with their questions. So suddenly I stop getting phone calls because they know I'm available. They know that they don't have to start two weeks in advance begging and pleading to get in. So it decreases, you know, it just decreases the number of phone calls to an office. And another perfect example is I was, I was shopping in a store the other day. I'm in the pasta sauce area, and a patient of mine walks by, and he's like a poor guy that lives in the woods, and he basically wanted to know if there was a particular spot on his hand with skin cancer. And, um, and I could have, like, said, okay, come into the office and we'll do this, but literally I looked at his hand. It took me 10 seconds to tell him it wasn't skin cancer. Uh-huh. He then tried to pay me like 10 bucks chasing me around the store. I'm like, look, I was already looking at pasta sauce. You waved your hand in front of the sauce. I saw it wasn't cancer. It's really no big deal. And so that's just such a simple way, you know, running into your neighborhood doctor, getting your question answered. Can you imagine that man who's uninsured trying to get that answer from like a dermatologist yes. at a big corporate practice? Yes. He has to call weeks in advance. He'd meanwhile be like terrified at home thinking he's going to die of cancer and wondering how he's going to pay for this thing to be removed. Yes. And when he finally goes through the whole phone tree and finally gets the dermatologist and gets the $300 bill, you know, he finds out that it's okay. But that was like two weeks of anxiety at minimum. Yes, of which course. Which 10 seconds of my time in front of the pasta sauce. Now, was there another doctor in, in your town um, before you came in and made this clinic? I mean, there's lots of, this is a, I think this is a town that we're essentially oversupplied with doctors, but nobody was actually providing the type of doctoring that the people want in this town. So have you, um, do, do these doctors now all hate you because all the patients love you? No, no, they come and they actually come and ask me for advice, and several of them have then opened their own uh, relationship-driven clinics. You know, and I'm not at all suggesting that people do what I'm doing. You know, my whole message is not follow me, I'm the leader. My message is be happy and live your dreams. You know, and if you're an urgent care doctor and you love the rush of seeing 80 patients a day and your patients love getting their ear infections, you know, diagnosed in 30 seconds and out the door with amoxicillin, which a lot of guys like, you know, guys don't want to hang around and really have a long conversation about how their marriage is going. They want to get their amoxicillin or whatever it is and get out the door. So if you're happy and your patients are happy, you know, mazel tov. You know, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. It's just that most doctors, 60% or more, are miserable. And so they have miserable patients. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, we do need to take another break. We will be back. My guest is Dr. Pamela Weibel. She is a board-certified family physician, a leader, a pioneer in her field. And we do need, boy, if all doctors could... 
turn into uh, into clones. I mean, yes, well, we'll talk more about it during the next segment, but I think uh, I think every patient, you know, maybe they don't want to spend an hour talking about their marriage, guys, some guys, but but all patients really um, want some of that warmth and, and uh, warmth and wisdom. So you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, <laughs> viewing warmth and wisdom <laughs> over the uh, Internet. Um, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Stay tuned, and we'll hear more. We'll talk more about what the patients really want. Talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Dr. Pamela Weibel, a board-certified family physician and a pioneer in medicine. Um, And um, she has... Uh, an additional, uh, well, she has lots of credentials, but she has the additional honor of having co-authored an upcoming anthology called Goddess Shift, Women Leading for a Change with Oprah Winfrey and Michelle Obama. So um, that's going to be exciting. Uh, so look for that. 
And let's go back to you. Ha- during the break, you were telling me about um, that you had a good story about a doctor who opened a similar clinic in California. Right. Actually, I have two good stories from uh, two docs in California, but this one is so creative. I think that everyone would um, enjoy knowing about this model, which he calls the Robin Hood healthcare model. And what this guy did, he's a, a Catholic uh, physician and um, he essentially was on vacation and he had an epiphany, sort of like me, where I woke up and had this great idea. And um, what he did is he ended up, again, having sort of like a town hall meeting, but through his church. And he explained this concept, which is quite amazing. Essentially, um, half his clients are benefactors and half are recipients. He really wanted to take care of the migrant farm worker population and uninsured patients, but was unable to figure out how to do that off the assembly line. But his epiphany um, was essentially, wow, you have families that join the practice as benefactors and he doesn't take any insurance and so these benefactors who pay like five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars a year get all the primary health care services they need and they're adopting another family so essentially mm-hmm. half his clients are not paying anything and coming you know sort of to an all-you-can-eat primary care buffet and half of them are subsidizing those patients and paying their own way so it's this really amazing local model in which now, you know, people have donated all sorts of equipment and he gets unsolicited checks that are donated because he's so mm. inspiring to people. And I think that's what we need today is, is just people who are, inspire others to want to give and contribute and build community clinics. And, you know, it's, it's just it's quite amazing. And so he, he says since 2004, he, they've, he and his partner have provided over $1 million of free care to the community. And uh, I, I recently was on the phone with him. He was on his way to a, a Jesuit retreat center for his biannual silent retreat where he strives to restrain his workaholic tendencies and takes time to listen to what God has to say. And regarding his practice, he admitted to me, well, we pretty much have the local market cornered on giving away services to the uninsured for free. So... <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful story. And another gal in a separate city in California, she actually called me for advice before she opened her clinic. And I, you know, told her the same thing I tell everyone else. Go for it. You know, I mean, just do what you do what you love. And this woman basically sat in front of a Johnny's supermarket in Boulder Creek, Colorado, and interviewed shoppers coming in and out of the supermarket and polled them about what they wanted in health care and ended up with 75 surveys completed by the end of two separate Saturdays. And she did what I did. She opened the clinic according to what the community wanted. And so she has this amazing practice where the entire community, no matter what their age, can come and participate. She actually has her uh, receptionist's 15-year-old daughter working there. (laughs) And uh, she has, like, her 12-year-old son helps with diabetic visits. And uh, this is hilarious. I love this one. Her medical assistant's eight-year-old daughter helps out most afternoons. And recently, Dr. Amy was draining liquid from the knee of this really big guy, and he was really scared. And this young girl, eight-year-old, volunteered to hold his hand during the procedure Aww. and afterwards gave him a lollipop. Ah, You know, it's kind of ironic and, and fascinating and wonderful about all this. You have created something which essentially recapitulates what you used to do as a little girl with yeah, your father. Yeah, holding these people's hands, yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's wild to see it come full circle. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, so that that those memories of how, even though you are only eight years old, um, you were really helping these people, um, came full circle. You know, inspired you to do what you do, and and which ultimately resulted in in uh, in multiplying this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I have a question. Um, now that you're in this book. Um, Goddess shift and and oh, Michelle Obama is in there as well. Um, why haven't you, or are you, or what are you doing to to try to get your ideas um, to to politicians um, instead of uh, what has been so passed so far in terms of Obamacare? I know I said at the beginning I wasn't going to get political, but I can't help it. I mean, what you're suggesting is is just so much more humane than, than the things yeah. that... I mean, I'm suggesting that we not wait for politicians' saviors and feel empowered in our own communities to design yeah. what we want. And I think politicians, wouldn't they love the idea of locally funded, locally inspired community clinics? They wouldn't really have to do much. I don't know, maybe they would become unemployed eventually because we wouldn't need them to help us. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I Actually... That's why I'm on the show and I'm continuing to talk about this message because, again, I'm really not selling anything. I'm not trying to make money from this. I'm trying to open up a discussion in which we value each other uh, for non-monetary reasons and we build the type of world we want to have, including health care clinics. And it's sort of hard to get this message into the general media because, I mean, I've worked with a publicist before and they want scary stories. You know, the media loves, uh, I guess, keeping people over commercial breaks scared so they stay tuned in for the next horrible piece of news. And I think it's just, um, this hasn't broken through to that level yet. I mean, I'm sure it will. I don't know how and when. Well, you know, certainly, I mean, this is certainly the time when, uh, because of the economy, we're being forced to search for things that are more, more fulfilling than money or status symbols, you know, um, to to fulfill us. Well, I know we're going to run out of time, and I want people to be directed to your fabulous, fabulous website. So tell us what they'll find. Yeah, it's idealmedicalpractice.org, and essentially you can click on Create Your Own Clinic. You can find a map of doctors all around the country doing the same thing. If you don't have a doctor that you find in your neighborhood, you could create your own clinic, even if you're not a physician. The instructions are on there. And you could just read some very inspiring stories about other physicians. You could contact me. I call everyone back. I email everyone. And um, I'm available 24-7 for people who are um, inspired to want to participate in um, changing the world, one patient at a time, one doctor at a time. And if you want to move to Oregon to become Dr. Weibel's patient, that's possible, too. That's possible, again, too. Again, the website is idealmedicalpractice.org. Ideal, right. I-D-E-A-L, medicalpractice.org. Well, Pamela, thank you so much for sharing your dreams and your um, everything that you've been through to, you know, not only is it... Is, what you're doing fabulous and certainly for the patients that you treat and the doctors who you're teaching to do this and their patients and so on but you're a wonderful model of um, how one can live one's dream you know how in this sort of jaded society um, where it seems like you know the one with the most toys wins 
really that's not the case. And, and um, one can live one's dreams and be incredibly fulfilled the way, the way we hope to be before we got jaded. So thank you so much for being on the show. Again, the website, please go to her website. It's, it's not like any other website. Idealmedicalpractice.org. Even if you're not a doctor or you're, well, we're, we all become patients at one time or another. Um, she has videos on there. One of them is the seven secrets to extraordinary doctor's visits. You know, tells you what to do when you go to doctor's visits to make the most out of them and so on. Again, ideal medicalpractice.org. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.